0: These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties, but in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours, find out more at sbmd.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm here with my colleague, Mike Morris, who has been writing about development in the floodplain since Hurricane Harvey. One of his latest stories looked at the number of housing permits issued since the hurricane hit in August of last year, and what he found was that one in five new homes permitted since the storm is in a floodplain. In addition to these new homes, the City of Houston has also approved 260 requests by developers to essentially create new housing developments in flood-prone areas. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, sure. And I know your colleague, Matt Dempsey, who did this story with you, was unable to be here today, but he did a lot of the data crunching. Is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the important thing is that the the city um for the the we looked at the year after Harvey basically, and you can get the number of permits from the city that were issued in the hundred year floodplain, which mm-hmm. is you know the area where in theory there's a one percent chance of flooding in any given year uh the hundred year is just sort of a shorthand. that's the area that is regulated nationwide. There are also five hundred year floodplains which go out. Farther from the bayous, mm-hmm. the risk is slightly lower, but it's still a risky area. The city didn't regulate that 500-year floodplain in the same way as they do now
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: year following the storm. So we, we needed uh, Matt's analysis to pinpoint which of the new home permits were issued in the 500-year um, zone. And there were roughly 600 in each, basically, in, yeah. the, in the 12 months after, the, after Harvey.
0: Okay, so about 1,200 permits had been issued for new homes located within a floodplain. Where are these homes, and what are they replacing?
1: Yeah, so in 300 of the 1,200 cases, you know, a fourth of the permits, Mm -hmm. um, there had also been a demolition permit issued at that address since Harvey. That gives us a relatively clear indication that in... Presumably, at least most, if not the vast majority of those cases, let's say the home was damaged by the storm, it was torn down, someone is replacing it, often by building higher off the ground to meet the regulations that have gone into effect, most likely since that home was first built,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, often decades ago. We see a lot of those demolition permit overlaps in, uh, along Braze Bayou, okay. uh, Meyerland, areas down there, some in Timber Grove. Uh-huh. They're spread out all over the city, but okay. the majority, just visually, are in, in Meyerland. And then, you know, in other cases, some of those demolitions, maybe it was issued after the storm, maybe there are additional ones we didn't capture that were issued shortly before the storm. But something I think is interesting that is a trend in Shady Acres, um, sort of the western part of the heights along White Oak Bayou. and in other areas, um, to some extent, in kind of Independence Heights, along Little White Oak Bayou, mm-hmm. places like that. There, there are places where the original home is being torn down and replaced with four, six, eight townhomes, which, of course, puts more people in the floodplain. Then there are cases where it was just an open field and there's a new subdivision.
0: Okay. So, one in five. Now... We knew that there would continue to be building in the floodplain, and that's why the city and the county created these new rules over how homes and buildings are constructed in these areas. So, one in five, that's not necessarily surprising to you, is it?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, it's a third of the city is in a floodplain. Okay. So, uh, the idea that a fifth of the construction after the storm would happen there, I think is relatively logical, because Mm -hmm. in a number of those cases, you have families with the means to do so replacing their home, Mm -hmm. um, either repairing or replacing. Right. Um, And our analysis didn't capture just repairs or renovations. We were looking only at new home permits.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's a certain amount of logic to that.
0: Okay. One of the things you looked at for the story was a specific project in the Timber Grove neighborhood, which is near White Oak Bayou. Can you tell me about that development?
1: Yeah, it's at the, roughly at the southwest corner of 11th and T.C. Jester. I think that's like Timber Grove, Section 5, and a lot of the homes in that section flooded. Um, They back up to a creek that backs up to the a big railroad bed there that kind of separates Timber Grove from Cottage Grove, just north of I-10. Mm-hmm. Um, it's along that creek in an open area, just south of the original neighborhood is an open area where there's a creek along the railroad in the creek. Lovett Homes, that's Frank Lou, a prolific local residential commercial developer, certainly in the inner part of the city. He, years ago, proposed a 77 townhome subdivision called Stanley Park. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, He platted that a long time ago, as in he went through the permitting process to lay out where the lots would likely go. Mm -hmm. But he he didn't move on that. He brought in a ton of dirt in 2012, which if you bring dirt into the floodplain, you have to offset that Mm -hmm. by digging out a hole somewhere nearby. Uh, the neighbors were concerned that he may not have done that correctly. As best county officials can tell, it was done correctly, but mm-hmm. there's been this mountain of dirt sitting out there for six years. Mm-hmm. He, he After Harvey, I think the neighbors noticed it in May, started smoothing out the dirt, getting it ready for development, which uh, they were just sort of outraged by um, philosophically. So many of them flooded, and here this... You know this this creek was overwhelmed during the storm. The neighborhood was badly flooded. So they raised a lot of concerns about that. Essentially, them raising those concerns, county officials to take a closer look. and they discovered that essentially, to avoid having to put a detention basin on the site, Lovett Homes had paid a an impact fee a long time ago. Under a program that has since ended, okay. basically. So the county said, we're not doing this anymore for developments of this size. Here's your money back. You have to dig a detention basin. So that was sort of a win for the neighborhood. The developer was very upset. County officials said. It's kind of immaterial, though, because as long as that company or any other satisfies all the, all the rules, and in this case digs that detention basin, mm-hmm. which they are going through permitting to do, I'm told— um, they can put dozens of townhomes there. It may not be 77, but they can proceed forward with their plan and the 100-year flood plan as long as the detention rules of holding back the storm water that runs off the site, uh, as long as those are met, and as long as the homes are elevated to the current standard to get them off the ground when the rain comes.
0: Um, now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was, so the neighbors in this case... They got together and they – it sounds like they were really upset and rightly so. You know, they – there's a lot of questions yet to be answered and confusion around building. But sort of to take the other side of that, just because there is a new development in an existing neighborhood doesn't necessarily mean that the older homes are going to flood. I mean, theoretically, if the developer does what he or she is supposed to do, then things shouldn't get worse. Right. So it just I mean, that's
1: the way the rules are drawn up, right? Right. Uh, The question is—and this is from, you know, county officials at the Flood Control District. Uh, The question is, okay, these are designed to make sure that we don't overburden this stream at the back of the neighborhood that the residents— said, contributed to their flooding during Harvey, are we sure that, that this won't do that? Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially the answer is no, we can never be 100% sure. There are scenarios where the models that are used to ensure the each new development meets the relevant standard, those are based on presumptions of rainfall and certain storms. I mean, we've said this 100 times, right? Nobody designs for Harvey. Right. That would... You know, those regulators say that's insane. You would have tremendously expensive, huge stormwater tunnels under every street, and we would never rebuild any streets because we'd spend all this money on these enormous stormwater tunnels. Mm -hmm. We have to design for more common events. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the governmental logic on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, the the rules are set up so that these developments don't have an adverse impact on those around them, but um, officials will acknowledge that the regulations, any regulation on anything is only meant to capture the standard, mm-hmm. you know the the m- most scenarios, not every scenario.
0: right. It seems like a big question here is what should we do to help the existing homeowners? What's being done to mitigate them?
1: Yeah, because, right, the city council votes on these regulations about new development. That's fine. That gets that house out of harm's way. It gets it up off the ground. Their car is still going to flood if they didn't find a parking garage. But, uh, you know, that family, in theory, is safe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Their belongings are safe. Yeah, that doesn't help the home next door. That isn't elevated. Exactly. And so that takes investment in infrastructure,
2: mm-hmm.
1: more basins, more uh, you know, rebuilding the streets and the pipes under them to match current standards rather than whenever that street was originally put in the ground, mm-hmm. you know. Um,
0: yeah. And I, I wanted to mention something to you that I had seen. I have actually a, a friend who lives on the street in Spring Branch mm-hmm. where the city came out and they completely redid the culverts and the, I guess, the, the ditches dishes. along okay. their along their street. Now, they put in these tremendously large pipes and the ditches went from sort of average size, something that wouldn't surprise you if you saw it, Mm -hmm. to two or three or four times the size. Huge, huge ditches that the neighbors were really concerned or the residents were really concerned about their kids
1: Playing in
0: the area, and I was so over they're there. So there's still
1: open ditches. They didn't convert it to no. Okay. They're
0: they're open ditches, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe that is the plan. But I don't think that it is for that section. And not only were they worried, or are they worried for their safety, because when it was raining, they sent me pictures, and it was like swimming pools,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and. So not only are they worried for their kids' safety, but they're trying to sell houses on that street. Right. And if you drive there, it's it's not a nice sight. Like hmm. curb appeal is gone. That's just. And so, as I've thought about this more, I've thought about kind of what what the you know what what the problems are and how it's just these existing older homes that we're not really saving and they are getting into this cycle that you've written about a lot of flood rebuild flood right. rebuild
1: i've i've gotten some emails to that effect in other areas where you know the solution that the correct uh, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt for a minute the correct engineering solution to hold a sufficient amount of water to prevent structural flooding the next time may look terrible Right, you know, right. and this is, and the, and they may view that. My presumption is that they would view that as a pretty good solution because it's cheaper than rebuilding all the streets with curb and gutter, with storm sewers. Mm-hmm. You know, eliminating the ditches. There's like two ways to do drainage: open ditches or pipes under the ground, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, uh, inlets into the pipes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm sure that that was kind of a slam dunk solution that. Folks at City Hall figured would be a a positive one, but I've gotten other emails like that where people are concerned about the fixes they're trying to do.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. Yeah. And like um, in Inwood, there's a defunct golf course up there that the city and county have wanted to turn into a detention, a huge detention basin forever, Mm -hmm. and they still plan to do that, and they're asking for Harvey aid to help do that. Mm -hmm. Seems like they may get it soon, perhaps. and the residents in the neighborhood are very concerned that they'll just dig a huge pit and not give them any sort of green space amenities. Right. I mean, there, there. Are, if if you don't live in these areas, uh, I feel like one school of thought would be like, okay, well, I'm sorry they lost their curb appeal and I'm sorry you don't have a swing set there, but fewer people are gonna flood. Then mm-hmm. obviously the other outlook is, well, if we were doing this more effectively in more places, all the time, then we wouldn't need to dig this enormous pit here
2: mm-hmm.
1: in my yard, right? You know, right? I think both are valid to some extent.
0: So, as far as all these um, per- new permits in the floodplain, what what does the mayor's take? What does the mayor say about this?
1: Well, so, you know, well the short the short answer is, he says the solution is not to abandon these areas. Of mm-hmm. course, there's development there. It's not a, an inherently bad thing that there is development there. We mm-hmm. need to improve infrastructure. We need to build the homes that are built there higher to keep them safe, uh, and we need to proceed forward under the right under the right rules and continue to do the drainage projects that we're doing and plan to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and that's sort of you know that's that's basically where the the whole city council is that. right? I mean, my impetus for writing the story is uh, the steady string of emails I get from people occasionally as I write occasional small things or make reference to various projects. Well, why are we still building in floodplains? That's insane. And that's been half the feedback to this story. Uh No one apparently read the 700 things I wrote about, you know, in April when the city council debated heatedly what rules to set on building. We never discussed banning development in floodplains. I don't think we will ever discuss that. Mm -hmm. There are 162,000 buildings in floodplains in Houston right now. They cover a third of the city. Right. Now, you could be more aggressive, I suppose. There are probably ways to regulate future development in a slightly different way than uh, you know, allowing a flooded homeowner in Meyerland to rebuild higher. Mm-hmm. But the city's run into trouble with that in the past. They tried to ban development in the flood way, which is, sorry, the dumbest place to build. It's like the, it's in the channel, mm-hmm. basically. And a bunch of people had property there and it lost all its value and they sued and the city had to water down the regulations. Hmm. You know, yeah. we've been down that road before. Yeah. People said they could have written it better. Yeah. And avoided lawsuits or avoided having the risk of, the credible risk of losing the lawsuits. But, you know, that is, people are driving, people hear, why are we still building, hear that we're building in floodplains and say, why are we doing that? Well, of course we're doing that. And it it took a 9-7 vote mm-hmm. to even make it harder or more um, stringent and make the rules more stringent for building in floodplains.
2: Right, right. Um,
1: this is the path that our region has chosen. And so if people are uh, uncomfortable with that path, then uh, call your elected representatives, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know? And of course, on the other side, people in the real estate industry say these rules are overkill. They were just doing something political after Harvey. Right.
0: And even if you did ban any development in the floodplain or, or completely empty it out, like someone mentioned in your story, the floodplain maps are changing. Yes. Right. So right. we don't even know. I mean, so yeah, you could do that today, and right. then tomorrow, you'd have to go out another, mm-hmm. you know, whatever feet.
1: I I was Matt and I talked about trying to run that analysis before we kind of abandon it because you have no idea where they're going to stop. I mean, so yeah. to, to kind of get down on the weeds, one let la- one layer on that. The, I the, thought you were going
0: to say one last time. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, never. I, I live my life in the weeds. The, uh, you know, the floodplain maps are based on a presumption of how much rainfall happens in this like, pretty bad but relatively common storm, and then this really awful, hopefully we don't see very many of these storms. The assumptions of how much rainfall that is and how quickly it falls are changing. The federal government recently published new data that essentially says that the storm we thought had a 1% chance of happening in any given year has more like a 25% chance, and the storm we thought had a 0.2% chance of happening in any given year, well, that's more like a 1% chance. Mm -hmm. Like, surprise, we've seen three 500-year storms in three years. That number, the 500 number, doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, So they are now in the process, the long process, it'll take four years, of drawing new maps based on that data.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, the floodplains will grow. And the, the I got off track, the analysis Matt and I had talked about running was, okay, well we have 1200 permits for new homes issued in floodplains since Harvey, uh, in the year after Harvey, it's been a little more than a year now. Uh, look at all these permits right on the edge of the floodplains.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of those are gonna be in a floodplain right? in four years.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: effectively, They are now. We just don't—we're not sure.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So, yeah.
0: Well, another thing I I wanted to talk to you about for a minute was the people that you talked to in your story. Um, Really interesting. So many examples of many Houstonians who are willingly buying homes that previously flooded. And I wanted to read a quote from a real estate agent you interviewed. And she said— some of my clients tell me, don't show me anything that flooded. But the majority, if they see something that's pretty, they don't care. She said, I have some people who are looking in the 100-year floodplain, homes that got six feet of water. And they're like, I don't care. My insurance will cover it, and I'm getting a great deal on this house. You talked to some people that maybe weren't that glib, but right. um, it's a tough call for people. For people, I, I don't think, I, I don't think that's the norm where people are saying, "eh, I'll just, right. I'll just uh, use my insurance." But mm-hmm. um, what what were what was sort of behind their decisions of some of the people that you talked to?
1: Right. So there, there are the cases where, like, if you're if you're in the floodplain today and you haven't repaired your house yet, the cost of renovating of fixing what was flooded exceeds half the value of the home. Mm-hmm. You have to bring it up to current code, which means elevating it. Mm-hmm. Most people cannot afford to do that right. So a lot of people will essentially challenge that, get a private appraisal and inflate the value of their home so that the renovations come in less than 50% so they can stay at ground level. Mm-hmm. They know the risk. If they're smart, they know they'll flood again mm-hmm. but they can't afford any other solution. Mm-hmm. I didn't feature any interviews with folks like that in the story, but in doing my reporting and looking at the permits on Windows, that is more common than you'd think that it says 49%. Yeah. That's tough. That's tough from a human perspective. That's tough from a policy perspective. You know, one of the people I did quote in the story, uh, it wasn't that 49% situation, but her family, they're moving in now. They were unpacking boxes a month ago. They bought a house that flooded fairly badly during Harvey in a 100-year floodplain, mm-hmm. and it was repaired. They saw it go on the market before the storm, uh, months before the storm. They liked it a lot. It flooded in the storm. It was repaired at ground level, mm-hmm. and they bought it anyway, and they moved in. You know, the the silver lining is that one of the couple's parents is going to renovate the flooded and dilapidated sort of rip back to the stud's house next door, put a second story on, at least they'll be safe. (laughs) But they know their house is going to flood again. It's just a question of when. They just like the house a lot. They needed a bigger house than the one they had. You know, they didn't necessarily get a great deal on it. Mm. It's a pretty expensive area, Mm -hmm. but it's the property they wanted in the area they wanted to be in. And then there, there are other folks who are not as aware of the risk. Uh, the folks at the county hear all the time from those townhome buyers in Shady Acres that we talked about earlier, where they're packing more and more people into the floodplain. Every lot up there is for sale in some areas. There's just activity everywhere. Yeah, the the townhome itself will be elevated, and hopefully the only thing that floods on your first floor is your garage, even though there's usually some living quarters down there too. but. The county officials hear all the time from people whose garages flood and they lose their car again. And they lose mm-hmm. all the stuff they had in the garage again. That suggests they didn't fully understand the risk they were facing.
0: Um, one last thing I wanted to ask was uh, in your story, some of the builders you talked to, or maybe it was just a, a spokesperson for builders, for the builders um, group in town. But he said, building in the floodplain is really just sort of a short-term trend, and eventually, very few builders will want to build in the floodplain. Do you believe that? Um, I thought
1: it was interesting that he had that perspective. Yeah, um, I did too. I hadn't really thought of that before. That's Mike Disberger. He's a past president of the Home, build- Home Builders Association, mm-hmm. who, for the record, you know, has has always. Um, Try to steer away from the floodplain. Right. That's what uh, he was saying. Right. Um, I, I don't know if I uh, fully agree with his assessment. I don't know how much I expect that to happen. I expect people like Mike to avoid the floodplain, mm-hmm. as he has been doing. Mm-hmm. And I expect another group of builders kind of like Mike to avoid the floodplain. But this is Houston. Right. You know, my favorite story to tell people is a couple of years ago along... It was along White Oak, I'm presuming that's in a floodplain, like near the uh, the new um, Walmart at I-10, uh-huh. where all those townhomes were framed out. And then a totally mundane rainstorm came through and knocked them all down. Well, who was developing those townhomes? It was Keystone. as uh Mike Surface, a white-collar felon convicted of trying to influence a commissioner and that right. sort of thing. The, right. This is Houston. Like, you're always <laughs> going to have— you know, who you, like, you need a license to cut hair. You don't need a license to build homes. Right. Like, you know, two plus two, the townhomes get knocked down. Right, a, right. Like, there are always going to be people who are going to build in the floodplain. There are mm-hmm. always going to be people moving in from out of town who have no sophistication about that whatsoever. Yeah. So I think that we are going to continue to see development there. and. The other reason, I mean, that's that's the super cynical view.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the other reason we're going to continue to see development, at least some, is that, you know, these areas I've talked about, um, Cottage Grove, Timber Grove, Shady Acres, uh, to a lesser extent Oak Forest, because it's all still deed restricted. You know, Meyerland, you're seeing just replacement, right? right. But, but these other areas, Independence Heights also, so Independence Heights, Cottage Grove, Timber Grove, Oak Forest, Shady Acres, you're going to still see development there because that's where people want to live and where people want to build.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like people want to move into these areas,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so people are going to build houses in the area where they want to live.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're just yeah. going to set up higher and they'll cost a little more, but the costs, are, the prices are rising sharply and people are still paying them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, it might slow down in some areas, but I think you're going to continue to see – original homes get replaced with six townhomes all over Mm -hmm. uh, Shady Acres, you know? Right, That's Harvey hasn't slowed that, and I I don't think it's going to slow it in the future.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being here and explaining what is happening out there and about your story. It was um, a great read, and I will post it on our show notes. And listeners, please subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And as always, let us know what you think by rating us or writing a review. Or you could just reach out to me directly. I am on Facebook and Twitter. I am at N Sarnoff. And Mike, your Twitter handle is...
1: There's too many Mike Morrises in the world, so it's M Morris01. Zero
0: 11 011. Does that mean anything?
1: <laughs> uh, I guess when I was a kid, my lucky number was 11.
0: Oh, okay. Because
1: that was uh, the red shortstop Barry
0: Larkin's number. Okay, you're about to lose me, but sure.
2: Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
0: All right, well, reach out to Mike too if you have something to say about housing and development and the floods. Until next time, thanks for listening.